Well, good evening. Good to see everyone here in the house of the Lord. If you would, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. We'll start there. Like Justin this morning, we're going to be turning to a lot of scriptures this evening. You know, it's rather funny that uh, two men who preach on the same day can have sermons that are so much alike. It's, uh, it's, it's uncanny how the Lord puts it on your heart, and you just uh, you put a message together, and then you discover that obviously there's something there, there's something that needs to be said, because Brother Justin went over a lot of the scriptures that I'm going to be talking about tonight. But tonight we're going to start in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we lift our hearts to you tonight. We give you thanks, Father, that uh, you were able to bring us back together this evening. We pray, Father, that uh, all that we do would be to your glory and honor. I pray that uh, you would give me the words to speak. I pray that you would give me the things to say, the things that you put upon my heart. I pray that you would help me to uh, describe them. And Father, I pray that you would help me to open up your word to, uh, to your people. Most of all, Father, we lift our hearts and pray that this church would be honoring to you and your son. And that all we, that we do would be a, a pattern of the New Testament. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Tonight I want to talk about three things. I'm going to try to make it as short as I can. I promise. I'm going to try. But it's a big subject. I only have three points tonight. I want to talk about how the Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross of Christ. I want to talk about how the New Testament saints look back to the cross of Christ and how the cross should be the foundation of everything we preach and teach. So we're going to start. That's, that's our thought tonight is all of the Old Testament saints looking forward, the New Testament saints looking back, and that that should be the focal point of the teachings of this church. And we're going to, we're going to figure out why, right? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I've heard throughout my ministry... Those that say things like, why do we even have an Old Testament? Why do we even have an Old Testament in our Bible? We should just throw it away and just study the New Testament. We shouldn't even care about the Old Testament. Right? It's the heart of many Christians and a whole lot of Jews think the other way. Why do you even have the New Testament? You can't even do anything with it. It's not even really scripture. It's not canon. And the New Testament is for Christianity the Old Testament's for Jews. I hear this all the time with people I talk to. That Old Testament is all for the Jewish religion. That's for the Jews. They still follow that. And the New Testament, that's for us Christians. Christians believe that we, we'd be better off without the Old Testament weighing down our Bible. And most Jews don't even know what a New Testament is. Nor do they own one. This, of course, is biblically unsound. There is nothing in our Bibles that would teach anything remotely close to that. It's completely unsound. And also, it's a really great hindrance to a, compl a complete or a complex understanding of the Word of God. You can't get the whole context of a subject without both of the books. You just can't, you can't do it. There's no understanding of the New Testament without the understanding of the Old Testament. 
It is really, really, really important for us to understand that we have to have a good and solid understanding of the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, we're not going to know it as good as a Jewish, a, Jew, a Jewish person does. We'll never know it that in depth because we're not Jewish. It's not in our nature to do all the things that the Jews do. But they read the Old Testament and all that is about everything they know and do today. But without some understanding of what the Old Testament is, you get no understanding of the, of the New Testament. I'll go on a side note. What is that? Justin calls it a Justinism. <clears throat> this, is, this is for free. This is Dan talk. Do you know how they canonized the New Testament? Anybody have any idea how they, how they put that together? If there was not enough about the Old Testament in the writing, the writing didn't make it into the New Testament. In the minds of the people who were canonizing the Bible, I read this, him and all of his people who were trying to put the Bible together because, you know, he wanted to appease the Christians. When they were putting it together, if they read a New Testament scripture or a New Testament scroll and they didn't feel that there was enough true biblical teaching that was in the Old Testament, it was thrown away. That's why we have books like the Maccabees. That's why we have the Apocrypha. That's why we have all these books that they said weren't, weren't enough teaching about the Old Testament in order to make it into the New Testament. So they use the Old Testament scriptures to build the New Testament. And you're going to say, throw the Old Testament scriptures away? Seriously. That's how they created the whole New Testament, was it had to teach about something that was true in the Old Testament. We see Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is all over the Old Testament. Justin spoke about this this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalms 22. He talked about this specific, uh, this specific psalm. He didn't go to it, which I was happy, because I didn't want to re-preach his sermon. <laughs> but Psalm 22, I'm sorry. Yeah, Psalm 22, we'll start in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Because it's also in Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34. If you would, hold your place here. But go to Matthew 27. In Matthew 27... In verse 46... Christ is on the cross, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud, loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark also talks about it in 1534, for those that are taking notes. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the words that Jesus himself spoke on the cross. There's something really, really special about this psalm. This is not just a psalm of David. This is a prophetic psalm. This is talking about what's going to happen to the Lord. Look at verse 14 and 15 here real quick. Back in Psalm, 20, uh, psalm 22. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death.
being poured out like water. All of his bones out of joint. These are the exact words that men talked about when they were on the cross being crucified, how they felt. And we know that Christ felt that way because his mouth, he said, I thirst. He was thirsty. These are the feelings that they felt. I, mean, I can't even imagine my joints being all pulled apart, my bones feeling like wax. This is a prophetic psalm about our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the prophecy of Christ coming to the cross. In verse 18, he carries on here to say, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Well, we know that happened. We know they took Christ's clothes and they cast lots. They were all arguing about who was going to get what. So they just cast lots to figure out who was going to get what part. They part the garments among them. That's in Matthew 27, for those taking notes, Matthew 27, 35, John 19, 24. That's, I'll read the Matthew uh, version of it. Again, that's Matthew 27, 35, for those following along. Matthew 27 and verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. He talks directly here. Matthew talks directly about a prophet that is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about? David in chapter 20, in, uh, chapter the 22nd Psalm. That's who he's talking about. David was a prophet. It is amazing how many of the Psalms are actually prophetic, how they're actually talking about what is to come. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 4 real quick. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 20 or 35, uh, no, 21. Luke chapter 4. In verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. We'll back up a little bit. Uh, he, uh, he walked up in verse 16, and he came uh, to Nazareth. So he's at his uh, home country of Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet prophet Isaiah, And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, were fastened upon him. And he began, began to say unto him, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, you're going to say, Brother Dan, I thought we were doing Old Testament references so far. Well, we were. You remember that in, in this, he talked about Isaiah, or better known as Isaiah. If you would, turn to Isaiah 61. 
Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. This was what he was directly quoting because this was the scroll that he was reading. Or the book. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He left this part out though. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. But he says this day, meaning right now, is this scripture in Isaiah fulfilled in your ears. Christ himself stated that this was the fulfillment of that very scripture. Sitting in front of all these men in the synagogue, he was the fulfillment of that very scripture. Now I want to point out that he's clearly you know, the fulfillment of all scriptures. But this was one that he was able to, to, to read and to open up and to show those in the synagogue, look, this is the proof that it's me. I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. I have come to heal the sick. I have come to heal the blind. And he was doing it. He was doing all of those things. And he brought them to an Old Testament scripture, which, by the way, all they had was the Old Testament then. But he said, this scripture is fulfilled. Can you not see it? And they refused to see it. They refused to see that the Messiah had come. And they still, to this day, refuse that the Messiah has come. Christ himself states very clearly that this day the scriptures fulfilled. He showed that he had fulfilled one of his appointments. That was an appointment. He had to, he had to meet it. Amen. And it's done. It is fulfilled. He's also the one that the way was made straight for. Look at Isaiah 40. Since we're in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and uh, verse 3 the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God and we see that in uh, Luke uh, chapter 3 which we were just over there Luke chapter 3 is that right and verse 1 now in the Fifteenth year in the, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Atura, and of the region of uh, uh, Trachonitis, and, uh, yeah, say this really fast, and Lysanias, and the tetrarch of Abilene. Uh, Ananias and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, this is John the Baptist. He's the son of Zacharias. He's in the wilderness. He spent his whole life in the wilderness until God called him out. When God called him out, he said, And he came into the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah, the prophet 
saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There is another scripture fulfilled. Now, I understand John the Baptist is the one who fulfilled that scripture, because he was preparing the way for God to come. He was, he was baptizing all of the people in preparation of them joining the church with Christ, of them becoming disciples. They had, that's one of the reasons why we require true, uh, valid baptism to join our church. Every single person that joined the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist or one of the other disciples. They were truly baptized correctly. Baptized is very simple. It means to submerge. We know that that doesn't mean to sprinkle. I don't even have to get into that argument. But he's the one that the, the, may, that the, the way was made straight for. And again, like I said, I know John fulfilled this reference, but the way was made straight for the Lord's arrival. It had to be made straight for him. John came for one purpose and one purpose only. He came to prepare them to meet the Lord and to walk with him. That was, what, that was his job. You notice how his job didn't last long. He was a temp person. He was definitely temporary. And he knew it. Now he had some questions there at the end and he had sent his disciples to go make sure. But, but truly, it was a temporary job to make the way straight, to be ready for those who are going to follow Christ. Yet another scripture of something that happened in the Old Testament that is proven in the New. The correlation in scriptures are endless. Justin relayed to us this morning, there are over 300, 300 prophetic references to Christ in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if that's a real number. I don't know if it is or not. I would have to look it up. I didn't look it up. I was too busy trying to alter my notes because I didn't want to re-preach what Justin was saying. <laughs> Just altered them a little bit. Over 300 references. Yes, I, I agree. Listen, the references are kind of vague, right? The references are a little vague, and they don't jump out at you, right? They don't slap you in the face if all you read was the Old Testament. If all you ever read was the Old Testament and the Bible... All you ever read was the Old Testament, you would have come to the same conclusion that the Jews did. You would have come to the same conclusion that they did simply reading the Old Testament. We happen to have the best cheat sheet known to man. So therefore we can look at it and we can see the things that the Jews couldn't see even studying the way they studied the Old Testament. You realize that there are men that have whole books of the Old Testament memorized word for word, in the Hebrew, because they're a Jew and that's what they believe they should be doing. Most of them are lawyers and they become doctors of the law or they become a, a, a rabbi. But they have memorized these things of the Old Testament. And it's said that whenever a, uh, whenever a Jew um, comes to the realization of Christ, uh, I can't remember who said it. Brother J.C.'s talked about it. That It's not necessarily that he's Changed, it's just he's complete. It's like it's all come together for him. They understand it because they know the Old Testament scriptures, and when they read the New Testament scriptures, it absolutely just jumps out at them what they had missed this whole time. But you would have come to the same conclusion that the Jews would have come to on everything. There would have been nothing that we probably would have done different. As much as you say that you wouldn't have, <laughs> I promise you, you would have. 
I hear a lot of men say that the Jews are just running around in ignorance of the truth because they won't believe in Christ. They won't read his word. After thousands of years, guys, they've developed into what they are because of one thing. Because of the heart of man. The heart. Man's heart is deceitful and it's unkind. It is wicked above all things. On the face of this earth, it is wicked more than anything else. Even to the point of perverting the word of God, even if it's unintentional. I want to underline that in your minds. Even if it's unintentional. There are men out there that are doing their best to try to preach the gospel, and they are leading people so far astray because they're putting their own thoughts into it instead of just reading the word and let the word say what the word says. They want to infer what the word says, and they want to lead them down a path that, by the way, Jesus said, you know, you just make somebody twofold the child of hell because you lead them in the same path. But they have the best of intentions because they think they love the Lord, and they try to read his word, and they, but they're, they're, they're doing it wrong. But they have the best of intentions. So even if they're ignorant of it, they're doing it, which is why... I think is one of the main reasons that a child of God should be heavy in study of the Word of God. Heavily studying what God has to say in His Word. I think that a lot of these mistakes started from studying and following after the wrong individuals and not studying for themselves. Although there's a whole lot of other people that I believe probably studied and then inferred it wrong and have gone wrong astray on their own. But all we do is open up the Word and let the Word say what the Word says. Whether we believe it or not, whether we understand it or not. You, you do realize that my understanding of the Word has nothing to do with my standing with the Lord. Right? And thank God it's not. Because if it were, Brother Dan would be in a lot of trouble, I promise you. I don't study near as much as I feel like I need to. But my understanding of the word has nothing to do with my standing with God. That doesn't mean I don't study. That doesn't mean that, oh well, you know, the Lord's going to lead me, it's alright. No, child, read his word. Listen to him. It's a conversation. I've said this before. I pray to him, and that's how he hears what I need. And then I read his word. Those are the answers he gives me. There's no magical in my mind. He's going to talk to me and tell me what to do. Now, there's, there's, I, I will be the first to admit there's some times where you'll be in a situation, and you'll have a split-second thought, and that's what saved your life. And I believe that the Lord's in on that as well. I also believe that there are angels that are protecting us. I think they're a part of that as well. But keep in mind... God speaks to us through his word. Through his word. I found a blog recently when I was studying this, and I was actually kind of impressed with it. It was a, it was a blog by a Jew. It was a Messianic Jew. And he believes in Christ, and he's come to the, to the realization of the Messiah has come, and so he's, he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the site was called the Jewish Road, so it's like the traveling road for a Jew, which I thought was kind of cute. Uh, I can't, couldn't find the guy's name. All it was was a blog that I found somewhere. But I found it quite interesting in some of the points that he made 
about, it was specifically about Christ in the Old Testament and how the Jews really did not have a reason for not seeing that the Messiah was to come and the evidences of what it was going to be, right? The evidences that Christ showed forth. And what he realized was that if the New Testament is true, right, and he believes it to be a true book, a true group of books, that if that's true, then Jesus was the fulfillment of that and that there was no question in his mind that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the prophetic things that he can think of in the Old Testament that talked about the Messiah. That when he reads the New Testament, that is proof to him that, hey, this was fulfilled. Now, not all the promises were fulfilled, but when you come to the understanding in the New Testament that there's the return where he comes and he dies, and then there's a return where he comes and takes over, then it starts to click and make total sense. Now, he had that in his blog. But he talked about, he spoke of a particular mentor of his that he had. The man's name was Zola Levitt. And he's got a website. He's also a Messianic Jew. He also uh, has a, a bunch of stuff online about for Jewish people. Uh, but I found some of it actually interesting myself. There were some subjects that I would, I'm going to study later. Uh, but he said this. He said, the New Testament without the Old is like a roof with no house underneath it. I thought, how, how great of an analogy for what we believe, right? Because I'm not preaching anything that none of us don't believe, right? I'm not telling you something that you don't. This isn't some new doctrine that you're trying to figure out, right? Everybody believes that the Old Testament is the Old Testament and needs to be brought in with the New Testament, and we have to study both. But he said having that is like having a roof without a house underneath it. I thought it was a great, great analogy. But, so even if they didn't understand it, I'm going to say this, that everyone who was before the cross, this was the point I was making, all of those that were pre-cross Christians, even if they didn't understand it, right? The Old Testament saints looked forward to the Christ, so they were looking forward to the Christ. Therefore, they did look to the cross that he died upon because that was his plan from the beginning, even if they were completely ignorant of that fact. The point is, they were looking to the Christ to come. So therefore, because they were looking forward to the Christ, they were literally looking forward to the cross. Whether they were ignorant of it, whether they knew he was going to die, not relevant. They were looking for him to come. So every believer that's in the Old Testament was looking forward to the cross. Right here in our text, if you look at 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me get to it. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to back up to verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So Paul here speaks of Christ not sending him to baptize anyone, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ. That's it's really kind of an important phrase that he uses here. Or the cross of Christ be made of none effect. In other words, that the cross of Christ be irrelevant. That's what that phrase really is pointing to, that it was not relevant. Right? 
In other words, if all he came to do was baptize, who then would spread the news of the gospel? That was what he was specifically called. Paul has a very specific ministry on this earth. He had a very specific ministry. And that was to go and to preach to all the nations. To preach the gospel. We're all called to preach. But his call was very specific. Now, I'm going to call out every Christian is called to preach. No matter who you are, what you are, where you're at, you're called to preach. Even if that means that you just live a Christian life and a non-believer watches you live your life, you live your life very Christian-like, that in itself is a sermon for the rest of your life. We're all called to preach in some form, some manner. But his calling was very specific. He didn't come to baptize anybody. He can't, that's not his purpose. It wasn't what he was here for. John the Baptist took care of that. Right? And then the disciples were taking care of it after, after John had, had, was beheaded. And the disciples, by then it was the church. Right? So you had the nucleus of the church. And they were the ones doing it. Right? Paul didn't come for the purpose. He came for one specific thing, and that was to... Preach the gospel. Now, he did baptize some. He admits it early here in the passage uh, in 1 Corinthians. But he states there that he's glad he didn't baptize any of them. Because of the disputings that were going on, some men were holding one man's baptism above another. Like, being baptized by Paul was somehow a better baptism than someone who was baptized by Apollos. Or a baptism of Peter because he was a true disciple to start with and Paul was late. You know what I'm saying? These stupid things that go through these men's minds. I mean, how silly is it to think that just because a person baptized you, your baptism is better than someone else's. He did baptize some, but he says that it was only a few and he names most of them out. But it's, it's as if the man baptizing was the glory of the baptism. These men were called to baptize. They were called to do it. But baptism is just that. It's baptism. It's not the person baptizing that is the focus. But that whom you are portraying that died for you and rose again, those, that is the focus. Their focus was on the wrong whom. They were focusing on whom did the baptism instead of whom they were portraying the baptism for. They had the wrong person. But he goes on to say that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God to those who believe. To the usward. Please take close care of your pronouns. I know that's kind of bad in today's society, but if you pay attention to the pronouns in the Bible, it'll make a lot more sense because there's the they and there's the us. There's the we and the them, right? So to those that are usward, it is the power of God. Paul told the Galatians in uh, chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 11, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11 says, And I, brethren, 
If I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. He's clearly standing here. He says that if he's preaching about circumcision and not the cross, like the men that were beguiling the Galatians, if he were to preach the same thing they were, then why would he be under persecution? Why would he have so much persecution from everyone? Because he was teaching about the cross. That's why. It was the cross being taught that was the issue he was being persecuted for. Think about this, guys. He's talking about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about a man who died on the cross. Justin said it this morning. It is finished. So what do you have to do? What's your part in it? Do you have a part? I mean, we all play a part. We're all children of God, so we have some part to play. But in your salvation, when he said it is finished, was it finished or was it not finished? Was it done or was it not done? Which is it? And that's what Paul specifically is teaching here. He said, if I were the same as those men coming in who are beguiling you, and all I preached when I was out here was circumcision, I'd have no trouble with our brethren whatsoever. They wouldn't care. If I was preaching nothing but the circumcision, but I preached the cross of Christ, and when I preached the cross of Christ, I preached that you die to yourself. What is your problem is no longer your problem anymore. What is your fancy is no longer your fancy anymore. You take your life, you set it aside, and your life now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the offense. That's the offense. That's the offensive part of the gospel. Your life is no longer your own. You no longer have a choice. You serve the God of God and the God of heaven and the King of Kings. That's who you serve. And we have a rule book. There are things we're supposed to do. There are things we're not supposed to do. Now, just because you do them or don't do them doesn't make you any better than you were before. It only means that you truly believe what he's saying and you'll read it and want to follow it. But when you teach a cross of Christ, that you lose everything that you basically think you care about, and you count it as dung, Set it aside. And now your life now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now your life now belongs to someone else. That's the offensive part. That's the gospel. Your life is no longer your own. He carries on in Galatians chapter 6 uh, to say, this, say something very similar. That in chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. In other words, they're willing to make a proselyte for the Jewish faith. Because that was the one thing you had to follow was circumcision. They were okay with making you a proselyte for the Jewish faith. But God forbid that they should glory in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that you care about anything else other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His cross is the epitome of that. It's the very white-hot center of everything that has to do with the salvation of man. So they were okay with making them Jews, but Lord help them if they had to suffer for the cross, for that way, as it's called. I love the study we did when, it was when we studied about that way. You should look that up in your Bible sometime. They were following that way. <laughs> they, gave it, they didn't want to give it a name. So they called it that way. 
And it eventually morphed into Christianity. People called them Christians. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I know I got you guys going all over the place. I'd rather use God's word than my words anyway. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, Paul, you're telling me that the only thing you ever taught the Corinthians was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I think he taught them quite a bit more than that. I think that he taught them a very wide variety of things. But the fact that he says this here means that Paul taught the Corinthians again and 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 again about Christ and him crucified. Why? Why would that be so important? That everything he taught, the center of it was Christ and him crucified. Why is that so important? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons here. Reason number one is the focus of Christ's ministry was to come and die a death for his people that they deserved. But he took upon himself to suffer in our stead. It's called a substitutionary. He took our place. He substituted himself for me. Right? And he took upon him to suffer in our stead. This is the crucial teaching to every child of God. You have to know this. You have to understand that Christ went to that cross with a purpose in his mind. He didn't just go needlessly to the cross to make some unimaginable, available possibility of some salvation. If you have that thought in your mind that Christ went to the cross and he died for everyone, and then now it's up to you to make the decision, what did I say about your heart? Your heart is wicked. You'll never make that decision. Not ever. That decision was made on the cross on your behalf. You cannot look at Jesus Christ on the cross as some minor blip on the radar of the the grand scheme of life. Guys, the work of the Lord was finished on the cross and it's the pivotal point of everything in time. Think about this. All time before Christ is called B.C., which means before Christ. Anything after his death is considered A.D. It doesn't mean after death like a lot of people think, but it's close. It says uh, Anno Domini, which is uh, Italian, and it translates into the year of the Lord. So today is 2022 A.D., Anno Domini, which is 2022 in the year of the Lord. That's what it stands for. Jesus Christ changed everything in time. He changed our calendars. He changed our time zones. He changed everything by his death on the cross. It turned this world upside down, left, right, on its head, any way you can think of, and shook up the whole world. Because he went to the cross and died for his people. For us. For me. We know that all the saints that were before the cross were looking to the future Christ. Therefore, they were looking to the cross of Christ. And all saints on this side of the cross are to be looking back. We're to be looking back at that fateful date and time when God himself 
the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself the wrath of God for all of his people. That's what we're to be looking to. Because that's when it all started. It all began in time well before and all of the plan. But all of it was planned for that day. And I know it had to be for that day because Christ said one phrase. It is finished. It is finished. Are you looking back to that date with the same zeal as everybody else? Examine yourself because you really should be looking to the cross. Everyone should be looking to the cross. His burial and his resurrection were wonderful. They were great. That's whole other teachings. That's a whole other sermon I can get into. His burial and his resurrection. But none of it, none of it would have happened had he not gone to the cross and gave his life. They didn't take it. He gave it. And gave his life for his people. I'm a big fan of the burial and the resurrection. Those are some of my favorite topics. But tonight, I had to talk about the cross. I had to talk about the cross. And after listening to Justin's sermon this morning, apparently, there was two different aspects we need to talk about the cross. It is finished, and we are to be looking at it. It's supposed to be ever-present and front and center in your mind. When you open your Bible and you start reading about it, if it's not pointing to the cross of Christ, you're not reading it right. You need to read it again. You read it till you see Christ. <laughs> I can't help but bring up that Spurgeon uh, story. There was a story about Charles Spurgeon went to go visit this young preacher. He was a new preacher. Uh, and the new preacher, he preached a sermon. And uh, Brother Spurgeon was there and listened to the whole sermon. And at the end, the young man come down and he said, Well, uh, Brother, you know, brother what do you think about the, about the message? He said, well, I'll tell you, it was, it was a really good message. He said, but uh, you didn't talk about Christ. And he said, well, Christ wasn't in the text. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ is always in the text. There's no word in this Bible that is not about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it should be front and center in our minds, Him Beaten and battered and hanging from that cross. I know that sounds bad, but you know, everybody claims we have a bloody religion, and we do. Praise God, we have a bloody religion, because it's by through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved. There's no other blood that can save man. We have a bloody religion, that's right. We trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that tonight that would be a blessing to you. I hope that, uh, I hope that when you're reading your Bibles, that you're really thinking about all that he did to suffer on behalf of his people. All that he did on the cross. The cross of Christ. Look to the cross. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We pray that you would continue to watch over.